genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no, you can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. Hey, Al here. Just want to let you know that today's a bit of a special episode. It's our very first video podcast. So if you check out the show notes, you'll be able to see the link to the YouTube video where you'll see the entire thing on YouTube. For the very first time, we're showing our faces live on video. But you also might notice that the audio is slightly more tinny than normal. That's because we're recording on video, obviously, which um, we're hopefully going to fix soon. So enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne. I'm a business psychologist. And my name is Al and I'm a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. Nailed that one, Leanne. Nice one. Thank you. You might, you, you can see us today. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You can see us like in animation. I guess you've all seen our pictures because it's on there, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay, you've been kind of weird in front of the camera now. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mum. I'm on telly. <laughs> Has been a bit of a uh, we, we, bit of a challenge getting this one set up just because we're like technically how we're sitting next to each other, as you can tell by the same background. In fact, can I? Yeah, yeah, there you go. I can say hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but we're trying to record and it's just anyway. So... What are we talking about today, Leah? Today, this this episode has been a long while in the planning, in the recording, in the putting together. Today, we have our very first generational panel. We talk a lot about generations. On the podcast, we talk about Gen X a lot, Gen Z. No, we don't. Why do we talk about Gen Z? That's who we talk about. Gen Z a lot, millennials a lot, uh, boomers from time to time. Um, so we thought, you know what? Rather than just reference these people, we should bring each each one, a representative of each one, onto the podcast um, and have a little a little conversation, see what see what's occurring, see what we think of each other, um, and see what we can learn. So Leanne went ahead and went and found four guests uh, for us. I think we had three of them all on at once, mm-hmm. and then one of them, which was she's in Australia, so we, she couldn't make it at the same time as the rest of the people who were around the world. Uh, so we've got her slightly separately, but. 
this is going to be a great, great episode because finally, like I'm Gen X, so fine. Oh, sorry, I just shouldn't disclose that. I know we've got notes saying we can do that later on. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. But, <laughs> but the uh, but what we're going to find here is we're going to see the main major differences between the generations, and we've got these representatives. Although one of them is a representative rather than actual uh, generation, which we'll explain in a second. Yeah. So what I thought we'd do is to start with is maybe just kind of kind of go through each generation, the years that they were born, their typical ages now, um, and what we know from generational studies in terms of their influences and their characteristics. And that's why we talk about generations, because what happens in the world around us as we're growing up, as we're hitting adolescence, um, that really shapes our, our identity and how we, we see the world and how we navigate it. So, um, so we thought we'd start with that. So do you want to go first, Al, with the boomers? Yeah, so boomers were... Born between 1946 and 1964, which means that currently they're 59 to 77 years old. Um, this Leanne's got some great little notes here, which I'm looking off to my to my left here. Uh, but she says that they are influenced by civil rights, television, and medical progress. And their characteristics are they are educated, independent, they question authority, although they don't like the authority questioned in my experience of, of, uh, <laughs> of knowing boomers, um, and they are quality focused. So that is the first one, baby boomer, 1946 to 1964. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Both of our parents are uh, baby boomers. Um, and I think, yeah, again, civil rights, my, both of our fathers are very, and your mother as well, actually, is very political, mm-hmm. very you know, involved in, in politics. Um, and I think as well in terms of the quality focus, like you always have a story about John Lewis and the uh, boomers. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant I always have a story. Look, I don't you do. have stories, do I? Yeah, we always go on about how John Lewis, like showrooms will never go out because of blah, blah. And no. I do. Please one, tell. One that I can't recall right now. But then there are, there are companies like BT. Um, and BT, British Telecom, it's the main, I suppose, would it be, I can't think of what the equivalent is in, in um, I can't remember the name in the US, but basically they're like, they were nationalized. So everyone had their telephones through BT and then they got privatized. But still, the majority of people who have B, majority of boomers have BT and the majority of BT customers are boomers because they are reliable, they've grown up with them. So they're all about quality um, and they're all about sort of, um, reliability. Moving on, Gen X. So Gen X were born between 1965 and 1980, which makes them between 43 and 60 years old. They were influenced by commercialism, computers and working parents, and their characteristics are self-reliant, skeptical, skeptical, why can't I say that word? Skeptical and adaptable to change. Uh, I'm Gen X. And I am probably all of those things. Yep. Self-reliant. Yep. Skeptical from time to time. Adaptable to change 100%. Um, and uh, yeah, I think computers were a big thing. When I was a kid, I used to get something called Computer Shopper, which was a big magazine about, a big multi-magazine about this thick. I used to go through and look, oh, I can build a computer and look at all these cool things. Mind you, I was a super <laughs> nerd. Lots of other people who are Gen Xs were probably a lot cooler than me. Probably, being honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's true, isn't it? I think the working parents as well, I think that... That, yeah, that self-reliance and independence, I definitely see in my elder sisters who are at Gen X and, and in you as well. Okay, so then the next the next ones are called millennials, but really they're sort of Gen Y, because it went X, Y, Z. So the Gen Y, but the millennials, because they were born between 1981 and 1996, uh, which means they're 26 to 44 years old. Uh, do you know any millennials, Leanne? 
I do. I'm a millennial. I'm an old millennial at 1984. Um, so yeah, I think, and I, yeah, millennials, interesting. We have been influenced by terrorism, um, the boom in technology, um, much more helicopter parenting. What is helicopter parenting? I have just parents always being around, being controlling, hovering being there, over. hovering. Um, yeah, and characteristic positive. I like to think so. Um, entrepreneurial, socially aware, and keen on flexibility. I would agree with all that. And I think as well, what is interesting when you, like I was, I think I was 16 when 9-11 happened. Mm. And it did just seem that after that, it was just thing after thing after thing after thing. But um, but yeah, I think that has definitely made us more socially aware. And I guess positive because if you dive too deep into it, it probably won't get through the day. Anyway, Gen Z, uh, Gen Z, Z, depending if you're you're British or American, I guess, 1997 to 2009, which makes them between 13 and 26 years old. Influenced by climate change, the recession, uh, and they are, of course, digital natives, uh, which means their characteristics are um, environmental, impatient, introverted, and imaginative. And if you, I don't know about you, but I get, I, in my sort of Google News, because I'm a Gen Xer, so I'll use Google News. Uh, Gen Zs will probably use TikTok. But in that, I do see a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of articles around about Gen Z and how they, uh, how they have their approach to work. And they, they do say that they don't want to see anyone. Like, you know, the, someone rings, if you try and ring a Gen Z um, on, their, on the phone, literally pick your phone up and dial them, they're never going to answer. Because they were like, who the hell is ringing me? This phone isn't for, for ringing. This phone's for all the other stuff. So um, I think that's quite interesting. And the final one is Gen Alpha. Now they are uh, from 2010 to 2023. So that means they are zero or minus at the moment age up until the age of 13. So um, with the generation, I don't know what's going to come after generation alpha. Would it be generation beta? beta? I'm guessing. We've got another 20, 250 years of them. So <laughs> they are influenced by social networking and by global climate issues. Their characteristics are this. So far, I mean, we have to say that the characteristics, the oldest one is 13. So it's very difficult to kind of like generalize here when you've got someone who's not quite adult age, but they seem to be self-sufficient and entrepreneurial. And I would like to talk a little bit at some point, not today, but at some point, about why they're entrepreneurial. Is that because their parents, who might be millennials, also are entrepreneurial? I don't know. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there are there are generations. Of course, we don't have a Gen Alpha with us today, but wanted to kind of finish off finish off the set there. Um, so yeah, I guess one of the, the first things, we'll, we'll go through our guests in a second, but our first question to them was, what is your favorite thing about being a Gen? Whatever. I was going to say X, but that doesn't work, does it? Um, <laughs> so, we, so I said to Al, it's probably only fair if we answer this question ourselves as well. So Al, you go first. You are a Gen X. What is your favorite thing about being a Gen X? It's kind of tough, isn't it? Because you can say, what's your favorite thing about... I mean, what's my favorite thing about being born in that particular era? Or is it what my favorite thing about I'm a Gen X right now? Either, both. Well, in terms of that era, what is quite cool is, is, is I'm just going to double check, I've got my maths right here, but I think that Gen X was, yeah, Gen X was, was the era where people, we went to the moon, which is kind of cool. So I think that's my favorite thing about being Gen X is that my generation, we were nothing to do with going to the moon because the oldest one was four, I think, when it, when it happened, but it was in our sort of generation, which I think is pretty cool. And um, so I'm I'm a millennial um, or a geriatric millennial, as I've heard coined, if you are born <laughs> in the early 80s. Um, my favorite thing, and this is probably from for being a, a geriatric millennial, being born um, in, in, in the, the mid 80s. But I think it was not, it was remembering a time before the internet. 
before social media and having my adolescence not documented online, I'll be eternally thankful for. That was not a pretty period, both physically and literally and metaphorically. Um, so I'm very glad about that. And I like, I like that I remember landline telephones. I like that I remember my dad sitting me down and going, this is the internet, it's going to change the world. Um, I feel like I was part of a bit of history. And I think it may be alluding to kind of what I've mentioned before as well. We have seen a lot of history as millennials, you know, with terrorism, wars, recessions, pandemics. Um, I think that makes us quite resilient. I think it makes us quite pragmatic. Um, I think that's where that flex, keen on flexibility comes in. Um, I think there is probably a small dark part inside every every millennial um, that's fairly convinced the world's going to end tomorrow. So let's just, let's just roll with it. <laughs> Well, we better be quick then if we're uh, if, if we've got that plan for tomorrow. <laughs> so she'll go and meet our guest then. So who have we got? We should. So we've got Carrie Cardinelli, who is representing our baby boomer voice. Um, she is not a boomer. I think she's actually a Gen X. Uh, but as to why she's representing the boomers, that all makes sense when Carrie introduces herself. We also have Claire Farrow. She is our Gen X. We have Ashley Menzies Babatunde, who is our millennial, and Isabel Reed, who is our Gen. Zed. Now, if you want to try and help yourself keep track of this, if you are just listening on audio, um, or if you'd rather see all of our beautiful guests, then head over to YouTube and you'll see this full episode on video as well. Um, but if you are just audio to keep track, um, I thought what might help, Claire, our Gen X, is from the UK, so she has a British accent. And Isabel, our Gen Z, is from Australia, so she has an Australian accent. Um, and then we've got Karen Ashley here from North America. So I thought that might just help. The Gen X is the Brit, the Gen Z is the millennial, which only leaves you two voices to remember. So before we go and meet our guests, I just want to mention as well that Isabel Reed, um, who is our Gen Z representative, uh, wasn't on the panel. Uh, with us, uh, the other three panellists when we recorded because she's based in Sydney and we just couldn't make those time differences work. Um, so what we've done is we've inserted Isabel's clips um, at various points throughout the conversation where we felt that they fitted and added to the discussion that was being had. Um, but if you're wondering why none of the other panellists refer to Isabel or Izzy by name, they're not ignoring the Gen Z in the room. She wasn't in the room. Um, so yes, hopefully that, that all makes sense. Let's go and meet them. Uh, my name is Carrie Cardinelli. I am the Senior Vice President of Digital Strategy at the Modern Elder Academy, known as MEA. Uh, it is the world's first midlife wisdom school with campuses in Baja, Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico, U.S., and uh, we have an online academy as well. So your first question is about what is my favorite thing about baby boomers? And I think one of the things that I find that is a favorite thing about baby boomers is that they are living in an era right now that has never really existed before, that we have gained in the past 100 years an extra 30 years of life. So 100 years ago, the average lifespan was about 47, and today it's around 77, but most people are living healthy much further and beyond that. And so... What's interesting is that we're not extending childhood and we're not actually necessarily extending the last years of our life when we are at our most frail, but there's this middle point. And that is where we have extended active, healthy living. So the baby boomers are the first generation where they kind of feel the same in their 60s as they may have in their 30s or 40s. And they're still actively building 
careers and professional passions. And it's just sort of moving much further down the road. So it's an interesting generation to watch how they are pioneering being incredibly active through their 70s and into their 80s. I think just paving the way for other generations to follow and the mindset changes that can occur to benefit the other generations, knowing I'm going to live to be 100. I can continue my career. I can have lots of different careers in my life. Um, and, you know, may not always be perfectly done, but when you're pioneering or paving your way, there are some interesting things to watch when you hit something for the first time. Fantastic. Kerry, thank you so much. And moving on to Claire. So my name is Claire Farrow. I'm the Global Head of Content for Make a Difference Media. Um, and I also oversee the content for our um, annual event, which is called the Mad World Summit. Um, and also another um, event that we, we run called the Water Cooler. And across all of our um, platforms, we take a fresh look at the future of work and business through the lens of mental health and well-being. Um, and the, the content that we produce is for employers who want to understand what they can do to support um, the, the workplace well-being of their colleagues. Um, so we try and stay, stay up to date with um, the latest developments um, and also help them to navigate the, the maze of information that's out there at the moment. Um, and so thank you very much for inviting me to be part of this discussion. It's really interesting that we're talking about generations and differences between generations again. Um, because actually, when I remember working on, um, I think it was the Mad World Summit in 2019, and um, I wanted to do a session about this, about and I was told, oh, nobody's talking about that anymore. We've realised there is no difference, actually, between generations. It's individuals that matter. Um, and I do have some sympathy with that perspective, actually. I do, because I was thinking about this before I came on. I was thinking, you know, is that a generational thing? Or really, you know, I know lots of people that, they, they maybe behave like that, but that's nothing to do with their generation. But I do think I'm hearing more and more from employers that we're talking to and, and you know, from the, the feedback we get through questions on the webinars and things like that. I think since the pandemic, there has been um, an increase in conversations around generational differences again. And I, I don't know why that is. I think maybe it's partly because um, the pandemic accelerated some of the trends that were already kind of in motion, um, particularly around technology. And that's really shown up some sort of differences uh, between, you know, it's it's highlighted the differences between generations in the workplace. Um, or it could be because the pandemic has made a lot of people in their 50s reevaluate their lives and uh, decide to opt out of their, the, the workplace. And I think that's something that we're kind of seeing increasingly and the, the government here in the UK is trying to push back against and encouraging people in their 50s to, to try to stay in work. So um, as somebody in my 50s, uh, you asked um, what, what is the, what, uh, what's your favourite thing about being a Gen X? So um, I think I love being a Gen X because I'm not addicted to technology. That's my my first reason, and I have got I've got two sons. Um, one's nearly uh, twenty five, and the other one's twenty one. And particularly the twenty one year old. Again, it could be to do with personality more than anything. But you know, he can't be separated from his phone. <laughs> you know, he literally can't walk around the house without that phone. I'm like, 
thank goodness I'm not like that because I can kind of experience, it feels to me as if I'm experiencing life in a different way when I'm not attached to my phone. Um, and I can, you know, in fact, the, the, my sons have a go at me because sometimes I leave, I, I quite often leave the house without my phone. They're like, don't, why didn't you take your phone, mum? I was like, what? I didn't think I'd need it, you know. So I think that that's one of the great things about uh, being Gen X. Um, and um, I'd say over to over to the next person. <laughs> Fantastic. So Ashley, yeah, introduce yourself and what's your favourite thing about being a millennial? Absolutely. So I am Ashley Menzies Babatunde and I am an attorney, a storyteller. I am the pod ha- the podcast host and creator of No Straight Path, which is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. So very excited to be connected with Leanne and yeah. Al. So I'm the podcast host of No Straight Path and we look at the human stories behind success from the millennial perspective, right? So when we look at social media, we're seeing all of the highlights. When we look at LinkedIn, we looked at our resumes, we're seeing all of the highlights but we're not really seeing the failures, the setbacks, the pivots, finding purpose, all of the human experience behind that. And so that's what we look at on my podcast. And we certainly talk to different generations. We're very open and we have great discussions, but we do focus on the millennial perspective. And it's been a really fun experience. And in my day job, I do a lot of investigations as an attorney, and that's been really fun and a lot of people-focused work. So I'm really interested in human-centered work. How do we create systems to better support our humanity? And that's the work I try to do on my podcast and as an attorney. Can you tell me us a bit more about your work, Izzy, and, and what you do? Yeah, so I work as a people development consultant. Uh, so I work internally for a company called The Lab 17, which we have 20 employees. We are based in Australia and we have a couple of employees in Serbia who support us on the talent acquisition front. Um, the two arms are talent acquisition and people development. So in the people development arm, we really support startup, scale-up tech companies with any sort of scaling challenge that they have from what I've worked on previously, which has been people operations. So in the weeds of onboarding, offboarding, contracting policies through to people experience, we're talking about engagement, we're talking about benefits, and then through to employee development. So learning and development for employees. Um, So we cover a lot of bases and I am currently on a partnership with Ubank in the financial services. I think for me personally, I have a background in psychology and I made the decision quite early on in my psychology degree that instead of doing clinical psychology, I thought my skills would be best use or my strengths would be best based in delivery to a larger audience and hence why I'm on this podcast now. (laughs) I think for for me to feel fulfilled and for me to feel like I'm having an impact in my role, I love the idea of the widespread effect that I can have. And so for me to be in startup scale companies where there is a lot of work to do in this space, there's often not a lot of structure in place around people and culture and the initiatives and the actions that we do. So you're starting from ground zero sometimes, which is a really exciting space to be 
beginning building ground up. Um, but I think you just have such a widespread impact on so many people from your junior employees through to your most senior executives. You are someone that's there to be a soundboard. You're someone that's there to provide learning and development opportunities. You're someone that's there to support on events or activations. You really do wear a lot of hats and when adequately resourced, that can be an incredibly fulfilling space to be in. I think my favorite thing about being a Jed Z is just based in the way that we are at the forefront of pioneering different ways of working and pioneering different strategies of making work work best for us. Um, and I think it's a really exciting space to be in, um, demanding what we want and then shaping organizations to support us in doing that. Carrie, I'd like to I'd like to come to you first because there's something you said there in, in your introduction, your your favorite thing about Boom is that it was a fresh, fresh thought for me in terms of that they're pioneering, you know, something, something new. And that's not often always something we associate with with older generations as being those those pioneers. So I guess my question is, do you think boomers are, are misunderstood? Mm, what a great question. I think absolutely. I think that. Boomers have kind of become a generational scapegoat for everything that's going wrong on the planet. And, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, they, they were the largest generation in the United States, but they've now been eclipsed by millennials. But nonetheless, I do believe it was a huge generation that emerged after World War II that broke a lot of molds as they went through each generation. So the boomers were in many ways pioneers that they took an era of great predictability coming out of the 1950s and the post-war when everyone just wanted things to be quiet and predictable and simple. So you saw the rise of suburban households and moms being at home and cookies after school. And there was this need for things to be consistent. And yet this generation of the boomers were became the hippies and the rock and rollers and playing with drugs and jumping out of those predictable career paths. And all along the way, finding a desire to do things different in, in a different way. And not everything was reckless that, you know, the boomers are known for, you know, making traveling interesting and passing seatbelt laws at the same time. They were really the generation that pioneered activism. They took sort of the activism of the 1920s, the women's right to vote, and took it to another level of activism, and as well as volunteerism, the creation of the Peace Corps. So it was a generation that continues to this day to be highly innovative, more entrepreneurs, which I can speak a bit more about later when it comes to business, and, and some of the highest philanthropic giving coming from this generation. So I do think they're a bit misunderstood. And, and, you know, as you had said, Claire, there was sort of a flattening of the generations, but then there was also this, okay, boomer, okay, millennial, there's still these levels of, of not fully understanding the different generations. And, you know, my rule of thumb is that anyone who's 15 years older than you feels old. So it, you know, we, we just generationally struggle sometimes to fully embrace someone who is 15 years younger or older than we are. And yet there's so much richness to learn. 
Absolutely. And, and with that, I mean, coming to you, Claire, you know, boomer versus millennial and now Gen Z is being talked about a lot more. Are Gen X the forgotten generation? Do we talk about Gen X enough? You see, I, I had a little think about this before coming on the podcast. I, I don't think we are the forgotten generation, actually. Um, you know, we're we're all working hard. We're we're kind of reaping the rewards of our efforts. Um, I think it, it does completely vary. Obviously, you know, from organisation to organisation, um, we're often in, in senior management roles. Um, I think maybe what people forget sometimes is that things like um, technology don't perhaps come as easily to our generation as to others. And so maybe we do need a bit of extra input on that, um, a bit of extra training. Um, there's room for some skills development, for instance. Um, but, but I don't think that there's so, I'd say that maybe in, in that respect, organisations need to be switched on to understanding the needs of our generation. Um, and, and also, I think um, a lot of uh, people in my generation are, uh, you know, sandwiched in, in right in the middle between elderly parents and um, sort of growing children, um, and it's those kind of needs that that need to be understood. Uh, and people need to remember that, you know, we still have a huge amount of value that we can bring to the workplace whilst also juggling all these responsibilities. So I think the really switched on employers are the ones that tune into people's actual individual contributions and what they can make, regardless of what their, you know, home circumstances are, whatever. There may be also people who've, you know, experienced divorce or, you know, be going through other sort of transitions in their lives around sort of my age. And um, again, it's kind of employers need to be switched on to the kind of things that may be impacting, um, you know, people of my generation, I guess. Absolutely. I think that's something that, I think, and again, how the world of work is evolving, where we are seeing more work-life integration rather than segregation, it's going to be these issues that are really going to start to start to have an impact. I mean, in terms of, of your thoughts, Ashley, I know you mentioned in terms of, of when you were introducing yourself that, and it's all the, you know, the um, the drive behind your podcast as well to, to show different stories. There is no straight path to, to success and that millennials, you know, have started to, to change perhaps where they work, what work looks like. What do you think some of the, the biggest differences are for you in, in terms of how millennials see work, approach work, craft work as, as part of their lives? Yeah, so I think the biggest shift that I've seen, and it's something that I think we've always wanted, but I believe Claire mentioned this earlier, of just about the change in the trends were really sped up by the pandemic, right? So remote work was a big thing that I think has really changed all generations' perspectives. And I think millennials are into it. We love it. <laughs> we love a remote work situation. And so I think that that's something that's not... It's now a part of the way that we want to work. We want to have that flexibility. We want to have control. We want to feel like we have control over our lives. I'm hearing the word freedom a lot. We want to feel free. And so I think that it is different for everyone. So I'm having a lot of conversations and freedom looks different to everyone. So some people want to have that nine to five job and just have the flexibility so that they can work on their side hustle. Some people want to just have the freedom to specifically work on that so they can just have time for their hobbies. But I think that the idea of FaceTime is something that is just of the past. And I think that millennials want to create spaces where we can continue to have this flexibility and have this control over our lives. 
And thinking of, of that, because I, I know one of the, the main concerns around remote work, hybrid work model, is the, the challenges in innovating, the challenges in connecting, the challenges in, in you know, knowledge sharing. In how do, do you see those challenges as a, as a millennial, Ashley? Do you think it is harder for us to connect virtually? So I don't think so, but I do think having an initial framework where you have the opportunity to get to know your coworkers is important. So I think for me, it wasn't very challenging to switch to a remote work situation because I had developed relationships with mentors, with the younger associates, with the talent development team. And a lot of that happened in the office. And so I think that there are ways to create community by having some in-office opportunities or opportunities where you do just get to gather in person. And I think there's also ways to do it virtually. You know, So I think that it also depends on your perspective when it comes to work. I think people's perspectives are changing. You know, Some people would rather just hang out with their families and connect briefly at work and do what needs to be done and find fulfillment outside of work. Some people really want to have that connection. So getting the opportunity to go into the office and do these kinds of things, I think is important. So it's really like, I think the word also is the optionality, I think is important to people. But from my personal experience, I have not had an any issues with connecting with people, with brainstorming. I'm happy to hop on a Zoom, happy to to work with someone virtually, to actually you know, work on the Google Doc together simultaneously. Technology technology has created a space for us to really work efficiently and effectively together. The remote working. I think a lot of Gen Zs at this point in time, because a lot of us entered the workforce, me especially after university, we did university during a COVID era. Uh, and so a lot of us are used to remote working, online learning, coming back to the workforce and that being a, a new experience for some of us feels quite daunting and feels like there's a lot of ground to make up. And I've heard of this concept of Gen Z having fewer soft skills in the workforce uh, than other generations previously. And that being because there is a lack of in-person collaboration and in-person learning. And I think there is some truth to that, to be honest. I think the moments that we spend in person uh, are for learning and collaboration and are for building our skills. And then the moments that we spend doing deep thinking work are for creating and building and strategizing and actioning. So I would love to see a balance. For me, what that looks like would be three days in the office and two days at home. But fathers, it's different. So it sounds like a, a hybrid model then might be something that, that would be beneficial. I mean, what do you say to the you know, people who are or leaders who are bringing people back into the office um, for a set number of days a week, because that's how we communicate, collaborate. Do you think there's merit in that? I do think there's merit in that, in the way that I think if you're intentional about 
the days that you're coming in and the way that you're spending your time with your team, there can be so much value in connecting and collaborating. It does become tricky when you are mandated to come in on set number of days or specifically set days during the week because every week looks different and every employee has different projects on during the week. And there's some times where just being at home makes sense because you can get more work done. You can have more deep thinking time. You are distracted less easily. And for me personally, when I have a lot of project work on, I prefer to be home because I thrive in that space. Whereas if I have a lot of collaboration or facilitation um, that requires me to be in the office, I also thrive in that space as well. So I think it would be about being intentional about why we're coming into the office and actually scheduling the days that we are in office to involve connection as opposed to sitting at a desk with our earphones in and not speaking for eight hours. I couldn't agree more. I think intention is so important when with any decision, but I think particularly with, you know, if we're mandating people to do a certain thing, having, you know, the intention behind that to make these things happen. Otherwise that collaboration won't happen. That communication won't happen. I have a quick question. Just something what Ashley said. This is for for Carrie and Claire. Um, This term side hustle, it seems to be quite a new thing. Now I'm a Gen X too. Um, so did Boomer Generation and Gen X, did we have side hustles? And if we did, what do we call them? Well, I, you know, I could certainly jump in first. I, I think for baby booners, the sort of first side hustle was like a newspaper route. Right. Um, right. So there were opportunities for jobs for teenagers, for the baby more generation that babysitting or, you know, these little jobs that are actually much harder for newer generations to to get. Um, and I think that the idea of a side hustle, think about Tupperware parties, the rise of direct marketing companies really flourished through the boomers to allow, you know, if it was a one income household, the other party staying home could still find a side hustle to sell Mary Kay or something to bring in a little bit of extra money. And in the world of in real life, that was so much the state that it also provided a social element. And, and currently, a, a lot of baby boomers lost a good portion of their retirement in the 2008 financial crash or just never earned enough to build this extra 30 years, like retiring at 65 or whatever. Most people don't have enough money accumulated at that point to carry on in a healthy way into their age. So the need to have a side hustle has become a huge, huge aspect of the boomers' professional life, starting an entrepreneur project or continuing to work, expanding their skills, as Claire had mentioned, to, to stay in the workforce longer. What do you think, Claire? When we were younger, did we have side hustles? Um, I actually love the idea of side hustles. I think it's absolutely brilliant to have that much flexibility in your working life. And, and actually, both of my sons have got high side hustles and they, they both work for employers. They're like you know, totally on board with them having this side hustle. And it's the perfect complement for them. They can they get steady income. Um, and yet they also have their time to kind of indulge sort of more passion projects that are perhaps you know, they're just building up in an entrepreneurial way. I think that the flexibility that it gives for entrepreneurs is is brilliant. And I can completely understand why why the, uh, you know, the younger generation are, are into side hustles. 
Um, did we have our side hustles? Um, I mean, I've, I've been freelance for years, so I guess maybe I don't think I'm the norm, though. <laughs> so, you know, I've been kind of side hustling for years. But I think it was, yeah, as I say, that was quite unusual, um, you know, when I started doing it. Um, perhaps a bit more of a forerunner um, of the kind of the gig economy, really. I could see the, the potential that there was in there, you know, that all of a sudden it actually didn't matter where you worked. You could work for anybody anywhere in the world. And, of course, that's just accelerated hugely over the years. Um, so, yeah, I can see people, other people I know from my generation have never had side hustles or would have thought of doing that um, because they had steady jobs um, and would see that as their main income, you know, or they would move job, um, but would would be prepared to stay in that job for for years and years and expect to have their careers developed, um, you know, over that time. So I'd say, yeah, there's definitely a difference there. And I think we, you know, we've talked a lot, quite a bit of, of technologies come up, social media's come up, and I think as well this rise of the side hustle often, you know, with the millennials and Gen Zs tends to be technology based. I mean, Ashley, in terms of your experiences, I mean. What impact has social media had on on the workplace and, and on how millennials view work? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I really think the first thing that comes to mind is LinkedIn. I think that that is the way now that people honestly get jobs. It's through social media. It's through social media networking. And even the rise of thought leadership on specific social media platforms, just being able to have this exchange of information and understanding, like you don't even... And I'm, I've talked to a lot of people from the Gen Z population, not to overgeneralize, but a lot of them say they don't even read books anymore. Like They will just go to that specific influencer. And I've noticed myself going on LinkedIn and following specific creators and influencers who are talking about different work issues. Like I'm really passionate about the human-centered work and organizational psychology. So I'll follow those thought leaders. And that really can inform the work that you're doing in your workplace. And it's just an easier, accessible way to access knowledge. And I think the other thing that you're seeing is social media brand management is an, an entire industry, right. right? So when I was in high school, that wasn't really a job. Podcasting wasn't really a job. But after coming out of college, that is something that you can apply to. Every brand, every business needs to be on social media to reach their customers, to understand what they want. And even when it comes to advertisements... When we're looking at social media now, it's all via these influencers, micro influencers. Like that's you want to see relatability. Like the the rise of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's celebrities. Celebrities are still popular, but it's a bit different. So you're seeing how social media is really just infiltrating your business, your workplace, the trend setting. It's here to stay. And I am still figuring it out, to be quite honest, the advent of TikTok, like I am still getting there. <laughs> so many of my friends are on it. <laughs> but um, yeah. And how does that, what does that mean for baby boomers, Carrie, particularly like you, you know, you were saying there, you know, they're finding themselves in a position where work is, is remaining part of life for, for longer and they're, they're pioneering that. I guess my question is, how does social media play into that? Does it perhaps, is it an added challenge for, for um, the boomer generation who, who didn't grow up with it on is familiar? Um, and perhaps maybe as well a bit about the, about the Modern Elder Academy and, and the work that, that you're doing there to, to help facilitate this, this shift? Yeah, sure. Thank you. 
I think social media, I love actually hearing Ashley saying that she doesn't understand TikTok. I feel like way better now knowing that because, uh, (laughs) wow, cool. I don't feel as irrelevant. But I, I think that when it comes to technology, it's so interesting that it is a way to like do a little microscope on each generation that when technology to this level, the internet, computers, phones, software was entirely new to the boomer generation as adults. So they had already created a fully functioning careers without any of those tools. And at that time, it was actually hard. Learning technology was a pain in the butt. Like you had to take a class to learn how to do Excel, right? Like it was hard, like, oh my God. And then they would change the interface on Microsoft Word and everyone like, couldn't find the buttons. It was, our brain wasn't really used to it. We hadn't seen it. And so that created like a certain muscle memory, I think, in the boomer generation that technology is going to be hard to learn. It's going to be a hassle to learn it. And I think that is just a residual element that some people might recognize when you see, you know, someone handing their phone to their kid to go, I don't, what is this? Versus other generations that, you know, now we're astonished the boomers to see like a two-year-old taking an iPad and like popping and swiping and opening thing. It's like mind blowing that technology has become that simple that a toddler could use it. But, you know, the rise of social media it was not pioneered necessarily by the boomers and how to use it for community connection, but yet it's become so valuable. We talked about the pandemic, as you had said, Claire, really bringing up um, the different needs for technology in various generations. Social media is here to stay. Zoom is here to stay. The pandemic crashed everybody's idea that this was an irrelevant platform. And suddenly we're on Zoom funerals. We're babysitting grandchildren on Zoom. We're meeting coworkers now for the first time virtually that we might not meet in person. It's all kind of new, but also discovering what I like to call digital intimacy, that there is this deep intimacy that's available online that is this delightful discovery that suddenly now you can build connections with people all over the world and feel as you know satisfied in the quality of that relationship that suddenly doesn't matter as much if we come together. And and certainly at the Modern Elder Academy was founded by Chip Conley, who was the epitome of a baby boomer connector. He was a uh, rebel hospitality hotelier, created these super boutique hotels um, that were all fostered around themes and community, did very well, sold that in his 50s, started at 25, Sold it in his 50s in midlife, wasn't sure what to do next, and then ended up being approached by Brian Chesky and the team at Airbnb to help mentor them, who were 25-year-olds, to launch this little unknown thing called Airbnb. And uh, it became the ultimate story of the generations, that here's someone coming in who had in-real-life experience, who'd never heard of a SaaS product, had no idea what these terms were, and had to navigate his innate wisdom in business with their sheer raw intuitive capacity and to build this great idea. They called him the modern elder. And his first reaction was a bunch of expletives that I'm not going to be able to say on the air. That was his reaction was F you. I'm not a modern elder. That sounds horrible. That sounds like elderly, but their reaction was no modern elder is someone who is as curious as they are wise. 
And he thought, oh, well, okay, cool. I'll take that on. So he ended up writing a book called Wisdom at Work, which was all about this idea of being a mentor, a mentor and an intern at any age. You could be 18 years old and mentor someone who's 16 and be an intern to someone who's 25, like to just open up this possibility of being open to learning and teaching throughout the generations. He opened the Modern Elder Academy in Mexico, which became a destination resort five-star hospitality place to immerse yourself in exploring the transitions of life. Midlife has now been defined to be anywhere from age 35 to 70. So, wow, it's just, it's a stage of life when things are shifting. Maybe you've aged out of your career in tech at 35 and you're wondering what's next, or maybe you don't pick up your head till you're in your seventies. So he created all this cool programming. That's everything from introspective conversations and thought leadership to learning to surf and making margaritas and everything in between. And then my job was to create this idea of modern elder wisdom and put it into an online form. So I got to apply these ideas of digital intimacy and bring people together in a retreat type immersion experience so they could gain those insights without having to travel, without having to leave their jobs. And um, we've had huge success. We've had 3,000 alumni from 42 countries through the pandemic that were able to explore this stage of life. So it's been a lot of fun. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. In fact, if you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. And it is, a, I've, I've watched one of um, Chip's TED Talks and it is fascinating how he talks about the modern elder and, and its relevance within within the modern workplaces. How does that resonate with you, Ashley? Because I know also you you mentor the Gen Z. Yeah. How, 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 how do you feel that would that would work in that world? Do you, could you imagine a 16-year-old being paired up with a baby boomer in a mentoring relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just love that idea. I love that so much because I think you can learn so much from people with different lived experiences and one different lived experience is generation, right? And it goes both ways. So I think it's extremely important and I think it's something that we need to do. So I just love that whole idea. And I also just love the term digital intimacy, because it reminded me that I actually got to know my partner mentor at my firm during the pandemic a lot more than when she was three offices down from me. She was in trial a lot. I was moving back and forth. You're going between, you know, quickly I would see her in the bathroom or actually at the water cooler. They talk about this water cooler talk, but we'd actually have more 
intimate conversations about my career journey, what I wanted to do. She had pointed me to a specific leadership position. All of that happened over Zoom. And I really got to know people more actually during the pandemic because we were having certain topic discussions that led to more vulnerability and more empathy. And so I completely agree. I think that you're able to closely connect with people even if they're very far away. Absolutely. Claire, coming coming to you, and I'm, I'm intrigued to ask about some of the need you lots of research and insights gathering it at Make a Difference Media. What are you seeing in terms of, of the views of these generational differences of, of expectations, of opinion, of, of experiences of, of well-being? Are there any kind of, of headlines you could share with us? Well, um, it's interesting because you, you might think that, um, you know, the older generations are, aren't thriving as much at work, but actually it's the opposite. Um, there, there's research that's actually about to come out, but I, it's sort of under embargo at the moment, so I can't refer to it in too much detail. Um, but I can tell you that there's kind of top line insights, which are that um, the it's actually the millennial of the, the younger generations who who are struggling more with their sort of well-being at work um, than the older ones. And, and you think, well, well, why is, you know, maybe that's surprising. Um, and partly it's because um, the older older generations kind of understand themselves more. Um, they, they, they know how to control their emotions perhaps a bit more, being a little bit generalist about it. Um, they perhaps have th- thought more about kind of where, what actually gives them purpose and, and you know, are, are you know, filling those roles, um, and also perhaps have a little bit more work-life balance. Um, so, you know, I think that in terms of the research that we've done ourselves um, has shown that um, younger generations do expect more from their employers in terms of the kind of support that they'd like to see them giving um, to help with their well-being. The older generation perhaps are ex- accepting that it's more their personal responsibility. Um, and they're also wanting to see workplace cultures, which is so such an important part of uh, workplace well-being, actually, that that um, that support workplace well-being. So it's not just having a culture of care. It's also having a workplace culture that's that's actually thought about work-life balance that has thought about whether they're recruiting the right people to the right job um, and allows for the kind of flexibility that you were talking about before, Ashley, about, you know, allowing for a side hustle or allowing somebody to do a four-day week, for instance. So that's kind of uh, coming a bit more from from the millennials. Um, but having said that, lots of people in my generation appreciate the idea of four-day week as well because it allows you time to catch up on some of your other um, commitments, you know, um, and achieve that work-life balance that I suppose everybody's looking for ultimately. So what do you think it is that that you want, that Gen Zs want, that is, is perhaps different to what's gone before? I think first and foremost, this has been my experience that I find a connection to vision, values and goals to be something that I hold to the utmost regard. Um, I have previously been with Lululemon as a retail store assistant. Um, And I think my experiences with connecting to their vision, values and their goals was even when I was on the retail floor, um, they brought all of the employees along for the journey um, and aligned all of these employees with 
their values helped all of the employers um, connect with their goals and where they wanted to go and made the employees feel as though they were helping propel them there. Um, and so I think that just the way that companies can do that would look like in the initial stages of onboarding, taking employees through that life cycle of where we are currently, where we're going, and then how you can help us get there. I think as well, really, really supporting learning and development. And I know a lot of companies will say that they have really great learning and development opportunities. And that would look like potentially having a day off to go to a conference or potentially having meet and greets um, or different events that are put on by work. But in my experience as well, I have seen companies that really care about the employee, both as an employee of the company, but then also as an employee who goes out into the workforce and who speaks about their previous experience at one company. And that previous experience then translates to incredible skills that they learned whilst they were there. And it shines a really positive light on the organization. Um, so employers that are really honest and open about the career journey where someone wants to go and who they can introduce them to to get there or the employers, um, the skills that they can teach them to help them succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And can I ask where kind of, if you know even where this kind of drive comes from, particularly in terms of kind of the vision and, and the values and the why, we, we hear that a lot and the research is suggesting that as well. Um, do you know where that drive comes from? Why is, like you said, it's your most highest priority? Where, where, why is that? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. And I've also looked into the research as well. Um, and I think from my findings, it uh, taught me that 50% of Gen Z said they wouldn't accept a job that didn't align with their vision and values. And I think this is especially around social and environmental issues. And that was compared to just over a third of baby boomers. So there's a really big push for companies to be responsible, to do better. In my personal opinion, I think the way that the media is nowadays that you hear so much more about what companies are doing. Previous employees are so much more outspoken about their experiences and those experiences are then translated through the media or through LinkedIn. You get more of an insight into companies internally. And I think the way that then employees will base their intention to go to a job will be based upon the things that they hear. Um, so I think that the information that's coming into us, we then decide, make our decisions about a job or a prospective job um, based upon that information and just the way that our generation specifically is so empowered in our environmental um, considerations and our social considerations and there's a huge emphasis on DE&I in this space as well. And I think that this has been something that has been really pioneering at the forefront of most of the people and culture spaces and initiatives in the past five to 10 years. Um, and that's been almost as long as the Gen Z have been in the workforce. 
there's a soft skills gap uh, with Gen Z. And you said, you know, to an extent you can you can see that. I mean, in terms of, of you know, assuming that there is a gap, how do we help our, our Gen Z workforce address that skills gap? How can we better support them to develop those soft skills? Mm, I love that question. I think some of the onus falls on the people leaders or the managers of these Gen Zs in the workforce. I think I see the gap most clearly in communication and standards around communication and particularly when giving feedback or receiving feedback or asking for feedback. So I think feedback's a muscle that a lot of people need to train no matter whether you're a Gen Z or whether you have been in the workforce for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, So I think for managers to upskill their employees in feedback conversations uh, is going to be really, really important as well as conversations around your capacity, your priorities and what's on your plate and how to respond to a request if it comes in to move something off your priorities list to then be able to fit something on. I find that in my experience, a lot of Gen Zs are more likely to take on tasks just by virtue of being in a more junior role, wanting to prove themselves, wanting to be seen and be heard and do a really good job and also not having the the courage or the bravery to push back in those early stages of their career. So I think as well, empowering them to do so and giving them the language or coaching them in the language on how to prioritise and then how to push back. Do you think that might be part of the reason we've seen a spike in burnout amongst the Gen Z age group, this you know, difficulty in, in saying no and just taking on more? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting concept. I have personally uh, studied burnout and it wasn't in a population of Gen Z uh, workers. It was in a population of healthcare workers. So it's comparing apples and oranges. Um, But speaking from my experience of what I've seen in the workforce, I would say that there's a multitude of things. I think... For one, it is definitely about the ability to continue taking on more and more and more and the drive for Gen Z to do that because they want to progress their career. And sometimes in the workforce, especially when you are, you're not comfortable with how capable you are in doing your job it can feel like all you have to offer is your time and that is your primary resource. So giving that away seems like the most logical thing to do. I think as well, there's a lot to be said about wellness programs within companies and the way that companies support employee wellness and having that be something that is socialised every single day and having that be Uh, things that are actually tangibly available to employees and they're encouraged to take as opposed to things that might appear tokenistic or seen on 
benefits pages, but to be able to access those things are quite difficult or there's barriers to, or they're not, they're not available um, to people. And often people don't use them unless they really do need them, such as EAP programs. Um, but in saying that, don't get me wrong, those are key, key part of wellness and health in organizations. I can see that there's other things that employees can do better. Ashley, what's your, your thoughts on that? There? How younger generations are, are experiencing perhaps more negative well-being at the minute. Yeah, I'm actually not surprised. I completely agree with Claire. I think that our expectations from work are higher. I think that we are a generation that grew up and we were told that we could follow our dreams. We were told that the, and I'm speaking from an American perspective, but the American dream was attainable. And we're the first generation where we're not actually seeing the same results. And so I think that is very challenging. The student loan debt crisis has really made it challenging for the millennial generation. We're overeducated, undercompensated. And so we're thinking, okay, if I can't get a home, <laughs> if I still own student loan debt, at least these institutions, I need to be happy. At least I need to be fulfilled every day. And I think it was exacerbated by what happened at the pan during the pandemic when we all realized the fragility of life, right? Everybody experiences loss at different stages. And so it really created a wake-up call for lots of people and especially millennials where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But today, I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. And so if I don't feel like this institution is supporting me, it's not supporting my well-being, it's not supporting my lived experience. When we talk about DEI, inclusion as a Black woman, all of that comes into play. That is going to be challenging for millennials. And so I think that's why we are not as happy. And I think that we will get there. I'm an optimist. <laughs> but I think that's also why we've been really creative. I think that millennials also believe that, okay, I might not get it from work. So that's why we have the introduction of the side hustle. We have, you know, people becoming entrepreneurs, becoming their own bosses. We have different initiatives. A lot of my friends are politicians. They're going, they're activists, they're community organizers. They're trying to figure out how can we create a world and a system that's got really give us that American dream that was promised because we're not seeing it. Yeah. And actually it's it's more accessible in, in a lot of ways, partly because of technology as well. I mean, a lot of the barriers to to entry into entrepreneurism have, have you know been broken down. It's a lot easier to access now than than ever before, I think. Um, so that's it's great, I think, that people see the need for that flexibility and are grasping it. Yeah. Absolutely. And and Carrie, what are your thoughts? Because I think, you know, when we when we think anecdotally, or maybe there's been people we know or things we see in the media, the baby boomer generation might think well-being is all just a bit of nonsense. And, you know, that particularly in, in the UK, that stiff upper lip and crack on and get on with it. Burnout didn't exist in my day. <clears throat> what what do you think the baby boomer's current viewpoint is of this, you know, much more attention and, and, and discussion had around well-being? 
You know, I I don't have the study in front of me, but I, it was really fascinating. There was a study shown of the common complaints of the older generation to the younger generation through the decades, and they were very similar. So it, it, I think it's part of how our the neuroplasticity of our brain changes as we get older. There's sort of these perceptions of... Um, how we are in the world that feels more comfortable to us. So when we're younger, we have this more fluid intelligence. We're able to kind of be nimble and take risks and be adventurous and try new things. We don't always think about the consequences of those things, but that allows the risk-taking. And then as we get older, our brain changes and we have this crystallized intelligence that allows us to kind of gather lots of resources from different places and make more holistic decisions. So that can turn out into, oh my God, the younger generation, they're so irresponsible, they're so lazy, they're so this or that. Part of that I think is literally the way our brain is reflecting their perceptions of the world. But, you know, truly now more than ever, there is such a need and a desire for people to find meaning and purpose. And what does that mean? And it is very different. Ashley, you spoke so beautifully about the millennials are lost in debt. And they they had this idea that the boomers had and the Gen X had for the most part, that if you go to college, you're going to get a better job. Even if you're like a philosophy major, if you get an undergraduate degree, like that is your ticket to getting paid more money. And you can find a sense of purpose at your job or a sense of purpose in your family and institutions. And so much of that has gone away now that an undergraduate degree doesn't actually mean as much. And it's not a guarantee of all this debt. You may have to go on YouTube to train yourself on these particular skills to go get that job. So how do we find purpose has become a totally new question in the modern day that we may find it through Ashley saying, oh, I'm connecting with my coworkers in a new way, or I just want to be happy. I want to, for, I need more time. I need more freedom. So purpose may expand. We, we like to talk about having a purpose portfolio. Like, what does that mean to have a portfolio of the things that get me out of bed in the morning? And that might be attending to my family or attending to a hobby business or attending to a cause that's really important to me. And if I have those front and center in my life, that will help me make it through the other things that are challenging, like my savings account is not so full, or I don't own a home, or the fears that are so prevalent, the anxieties that we have and the uncertainties of the world today. I guess that comes down to kind of understanding your priorities, doesn't it? It kind of, yeah. If you could have different people have different priorities across their life, don't they? And it doesn't all it doesn't all have to feed into work. Well, you'd have you'd hope it wouldn't all feed into work. It shouldn't, right? Is that an expectation of senior managers, though, Claire? That typically might be more Gen X. That work should be, you know, the number one priority. And I think you know if if that's the case, then they need to open their eyes and start listening to people. Um, you know, and, and all of this actually boils down to listening to you, to your people and understanding their needs and understanding where they're coming from, where they're where they're at, regardless of which generation they're they're in, they're part of. So um, yeah, there may there may be an expectation around that from from some people of my generation. Um, but if if there are, then they're going to lose out because you know they need to tune into to what their their people are saying. 
And as a as a Gen Z, do you think you're misunderstood? I think the misunderstanding that I've experienced has come from a lot of older generations saying things along the lines of they want to work from home, so therefore they're not as driven or they don't do as much or they're not maximizing their time. And I've had a lot of experiences where older employees have been the ones at the forefront of bringing people into work. And the reason for that being that they don't don't want their younger employees to fall behind. And so I think that that is quite a big stigma around working from home and specifically with younger employees. Um, But I think, you know, the, the research goes to show that a lot of people are quite productive at home, um, especially Gen Z, when they are given those remote working opportunities. Uh, if you align the productivity with their employee experience and then with less burnout and greater wellness, it's such a knock-on effect and fewer employees leaving the company, reduced turnover. These are all things that are so intricately aligned with one another. Both of our parents um, have come from working class backgrounds and it seemed like they spent most of their time working so hard to get into the middle class. Is that still a thing with millennials and Gen Zs? Do they still look at it that same way? I don't know. I mean, just looking at my own sons, I think they don't really think in terms of class or kind of I've got to get a child to go to university. Um, You know, in fact, my eldest son didn't even go to university. He chose not to. He wanted to do an apprenticeship, you know, because he recognised that actually that might be a way to him for him to gain really valuable skills and not have a debt at the end of the day. Um, So but I think they do they do look at what their peers are doing. They look at what uh, influencers are doing as well, and and what their idea of successful is. But that that again is can be different. It's not necessarily about you know how big your house is or what kind of car you're driving. Um, you know, it could be about the kind of lifestyle that you're living. Um, having having a job that offers the flexibility to work whilst you're abroad, and you know, or, um, have just four day week, for instance. So. Um, I think that, yeah, the drives are still there, but the drivers are different. And it's not about getting one step up from the generation before. I don't know if you'd agree, Ashley. I mean, I'm just drawing on my knowledge of two two sons and their their peers, really. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's nuanced, right? So I think that just getting to the next socioeconomic status ring is something that is important to millennials. I think financial security is important to millennials, but I do think at what cost? Like, I don't think that millennials want... Oh, I have different friends, but I know that most people don't want to grind it out at a job that is unfulfilling to get financial security. Everyone has read that happiness study by the Harvard... um, I believe it was... Harvard Business School, but something out of Harvard where 
you know, if you make a certain amount of money, that's going, then there's diminishing returns on happiness. And we have classes at all the top universities teaching happiness because so many people have anxiety and depression. And so I think that what's going on is people are seeing that the pursuit of money and success and the way that we used to look at it is often associated with a negative well-being status. And so people want to be healthy. They want to be happy. They want to be fulfilled. And they also want financial security, but it doesn't need to be at the cost of their humanity. And so I think that struggle is something that we're having a lot of conversations about and we're trying, oh, that's why people are being creative to figure out how they can still attain that. Yeah, it isn't. I I grew up in it as a similar thing. I'm I'm what I'm, I saw the other day. I'm called a geriatric millennial, which I found somewhat <laughs> offensive. I know, just but but similar thing. I said like you you know you grew up in an environment where it's like you you know you you go to school, you go to university, you get a job, you do this, and it against that that moment where suddenly you think, is this is this it? How do you feel about because there's, there are some, and I must admit, I've 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 not. I've not personally met one, but I see it in the news and I see it in the media and I see it online. You people, you know, older generations who say Gen Z just don't want to work. Gen Z are lazy. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? I would, I would respond by rebutting that completely. <laughs> I would say that it's not that we don't want to work. We are more than capable and more than happy and more than enthusiastic to be working. I think whilst there is so many grabs to our time, especially as and as I speak from my own experiences, especially in startup scale up industries, there's so many jobs to do. And physically, not enough time in the day. So I think the concept of working smarter, not harder, is quite relevant here. And the concept of work-life balance as well. I think that whilst whilst I'm a really hard worker personally, and whilst I see the people around me working really hard, I often don't think that the hours you work equals the productivity or the impact or the output that you provide because during those hours it's not it's not as if you're going to be productive all the time or it's not as if you're going to be doing your best work all the time so I think there's such a big push especially with hybrid working or remote working to work as you work best or work where you work best and coming back to that conversation of if you have deep thinking work to do, do it at home or even down to scheduling your day or time blocking your day in the times that you know that you function best or you know that your brain functions best to do those deep thinking tasks and then maybe admin in the other times. So I think it's a really big opportunity here for employees to lean into that remote working or hybrid working and support their employees to really schedule their time and create the open communication about where they're going to be, what they're going to be working on and what works best for them and how it works best for them so they can support us, support ourselves. 
Absolutely. I worry we've all been a bit polite. <laughs> let's 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 get some some real talk. What what frustrates us about about other other generations, either either up or or down? What what things that kind of maybe get on our our nerves? Carrie, can I come to you first? Mm, wow. I, I think that one of the it's like not maybe what gets on my nerves, but a concern that I see. I see a huge concern around um the nuclear family and extended family being much more spread out with the expanded generations and that that's creating a lot of tension on caregiving for older adults that, you know, we used to have multi-generational households. So the aunties were around, the grandmas were around, the babies were around, and there was this ability to kind of shared care across the spectrum that's gone now. And I, I just think we're hitting a huge crisis of the boomers are getting older and the silent generation and they're all alone. And and then you have these millennials who are all alone, can't afford to buy a house. And we've lost some of that kind of simple homey all be together and take care of each other. So it's become much more expensive for a millennial to buy their own house and then grandma to have to go in assisted living. And it's just crazy. So that's something that annoys me to some degree or bothers me or worries me about the generations kind of creating these much more striated lifestyles that can be really challenging when something happens with an illness or um, unexpected babies or aging parents. Um, I think it's something we really have to put all of our heads together within the generations to, to solve. Absolutely. Claire, is there anything that, that bugs you? Yeah, definitely. I'm happy not to be polite. <laughs> um, I, it's communication. I mean, actually, I nearly mentioned this before when, when we were talking about communication styles. And it's like the bite-sized communication that I find hardest to kind of deal with. You know, um, they don't read emails properly. <laughs> what things on Slack, you know, or all these other channels. I'm like, I'm already doing stuff on this channel. Why should I, you know, use your channel? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, none of this is insurmountable, obviously, but I do find that challenging. There are def there's definitely a difference in communication styles now. Um, and I think you you know, it's it's impacted the way that I communicate and not necessarily for the worse, you know, I'm perhaps more concise than I used to be and get to the point. But I find it sometimes even a bit rude, you know, if people don't read my email properly or, um, you know, don't respond at all. That seems to be something that seems to be acceptable. Um, so I think that that's what I find hardest about the differences between the different generations, because it's the younger generations. Older generation, I think, are wonderful. I love them. <laughs> I've got no complaints there. <laughs> it's funny you say, Claire, when I think that my dad thinks that the, the email replies I give to him, his email, are probably quite rude. The way that I would think that my nephew, who's like 19, will go, K. Yeah. And I'm like, oi, I've just spent 15 minutes writing this text out. And so it's probably, it's like, it's gen much generations, through the generations, you know, my dad still sends me emails going, regards, dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about you, Ashley? Yeah, so I have story, but I just really quickly want to respond to Carrie's point because I really 
just love it. I agree just as far as your the generations just being so spread out from one another and coming together. I could, I've experienced that in my own life and I feel really grateful. Like I went off to school, I went to the East Coast, I've traveled, I've done all of these things, but I came back home and it was very helpful being close to my grandmother before she passed away, being close to my mother before she passed away. Like I was able to really be present. And so it's really changed my perspective. And I'm, you know, a younger, I'm 33 as a millennial experiencing loss. Not everybody experiences that. And so not everybody has the same perspective that I have now where I have, am working really hard to get all of my family in one place. And I don't know if I would have thought of that, that previously, but it is extremely important. And so that's something that my husband and I are working towards. And, and I think that would, because we have had more choice and more opportunities, we've been able to move all around in different places. And, and so it does disconnect us from our family physically. And so it's amazing to have this choice and opportunities and go off and do what, you know, what you'd like and pursue your dreams, but there's this balancing act. So I love that you said that because it's something that has been top of mind for my family. And for me specifically, love all generations. But one thing that is challenging is that when I try to explain my vision, for the kind of workplace that I want to see to leadership, they look at me sometimes like I'm crazy. And and even just the words I use, I remember using saying that I really want to center our humanity. And I was pitching a specific proposal. And I remember someone said, like, what does that mean? That's going to be offensive to people. Of course, this is a humane workplace. You know, this is not going to go over well. And it was just really interesting because a couple of months later, that language was everywhere in organizational psychology pieces. It was everywhere on LinkedIn. And I I knew I had a like I had my hand on the pulse. I understood what the people wanted, but I felt shut down in my explanations and in my visions. And so, and I knew that it was coming, you know, not from a bad place, but I, I did feel like sometimes it's, it's, it's really hard to advocate for the vision that I see for the workplace when I am talking to the boomer generation. I think I've seen a shift recently in the way that specifically women will present themselves from a younger generation and not conform to the male stereotypes of a leader. And I've had this discussion with some of my friends who are also in corporate um, in the way that a lot of the female leaders they see have adopted this bulldog-like approach on going after if it's in relation to business development or moving at such a pace that doesn't allow for learning and doesn't allow for mentorship and doesn't allow for development and doesn't allow for feedback. It's just a constant moving towards the goal. And the goal is always tracking along in front of it. So you'll never reach it. Um, And I think that where I haven't seen Gen Z thrive has been in that environment where there's little communication about where we're going. There's little communication about 
what the feedback is about the projects that you've just delivered, there's little recognition. I think recognition is such a key piece that I see younger people doing it more so than the older generation and really impactful recognition as well. I'm talking when you see something that either aligns with the values of the company or aligns with the values of the individual or that you respect someone doing, you see that, you call it out, you bring it back to why it was so important that that was done and the impact that it had. And I think we could all get better in this space, but it's been my experience that there is less of that. Um, in an older generation, just because the values are less socialized and the learning and development is less strong in that space around feedback as well. Yeah. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Kerry? Yeah, just want able to extend vision, to be a visionary millennial um, can be tricky, right? Standing in a level of competency mm-hmm. and being willing to stick it out. And to your point, being finger on the pulse of something that suddenly caught fire. Isn't that classic? Like sometimes it just takes a minute for an older generation to get it. Like they're not first, they were not first on Facebook. They were not, they're on MySpace. Like it just takes a minute. And so like, how do we create patience and from both sides to really lean into the leadership that I believe the millennial generation is bringing forward a huge, potent, powerful generation with a certain clarity of how life could and should be. And to give the boomers a minute to get out of that kind of fixed mindset and lean in to a growth mindset, it takes a lot of curiosity and trust to, to do so. And so I think that is very valid and important to figure out how to find that tenacity, Ashley, that you've created to keep going. Yeah. yeah. And they're all listening. It just takes time, like you said. The trust and curiosity, I think that's spot on. Yeah. And that leads me nicely to, to my final question to, to all of you. You know, I think everything we've talked about seems to come back to a I guess a headline of, of we all experience the world slightly differently, but then we also seem to be experiencing it exactly the same way. And communication seems to be playing a big part in in this gap, perhaps in our understanding and empathy at, at times. What can we do to, to perhaps bridge the generational gaps we're seeing it at the moment and, and improve communication between different age groups? Well, I love the idea of reverse mentoring. I think that's that's fantastic. I think we should do, every company should do it. Every organization should do it. And um, for me, it just comes back down to listening, um, really improving listening skills um, and helping people, training people in empathy if they don't have it already, naturally, um, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And I think it's that kind, those are the skills that help um, transcend the differences between generations. I could jump in. Uh, our work here at, at MEA, we partnered with an extraordinary social entrepreneur who is a, I think he's a Gen Xer like you, Claire, um, named Michael Hebb. 
And he created an initiative called Death Over Dinner, which was uh, using the dinner table as a place of social architecture and bringing people together to have difficult conversations. And there's a new initiative called Generations Over Dinner. And it's basically a, a dinner party challenge to bring as many generations as possible together over dinner. And they created a website where you could sign up and they would have topics and like a a plan, like how to have a planned kind of dinner party with a few questions to pose and a challenge. Can you get five, six, even seven generations around the table and then have everyone respond to a few questions? And I've participated and hosted a few and they were so magical. Just the magic of sharing food, the simplicity of sitting together around a table and really well-curated questions that you didn't have to think of yourself that people can easily lean into and answer. It just created something you kind of think about for days and days afterwards. And I think like those are the kinds of seeds, like really creative way to plant a seed to just when we come together and we see our humanity, everything takes care of itself from there. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley? Yeah, so I love that. I think that empathy is important, getting into the same room and even just naming the topic. If you're in a workplace environment and you're bringing in different generations, let's have the discussion that we are literally having right now, which has been so incredible and really talk about our experiences, why we think the way we are thinking. And from a general racial perspective, I do think we try to do it from a DEI perspective. We try to do it from an industry perspective, but it's really cool to just come in and just talk about these things. And as far as empathy, I think it's important to maybe think about the people in your life who you're close to, who are of a different generation and the empathy that you might have for that person and extend it to someone that you may not know in the workplace or outside of it. Think about it. You know, I remember we were just with celebrating my dad's 65th birthday and with my, my whole family, my cousins, and we're joking. And my dad and my uncles didn't understand half the jokes that we were saying. Like there's just sometimes there's just like a disconnect and that's okay. Use that same empathy that you have for your family and your loved ones for everyone else because we're all human and we all deserve it. Izzy, is there anything that I haven't asked you that perhaps I should have? I love that question. Um, I think what I would love to speak to that I see as being a really important topic of conversation is at the moment how to engage Gen Z and how to engage Gen Z talent specifically who are entering the workforce because the talent market is so strong at the moment and there's lots of people who at this point in time are looking for roles, looking for graduate roles specifically. Um, or have just been made redundant in the space or who are on the lookout. I read a statistic um, the other day that had said that I think 70% of Gen Z are actively looking for work out in the workforce. So I think for employees or companies or people to be looking out in the market, I think it's really, really important to, as I've said before, uh, really socialize the values and 
the goals and the mission and align employees to that. So on your job listing, do include that because it really does make a difference. I think as well, I've seen a lot of job descriptions that contain the type of person that they want you to be. And I think that this could sometimes be problematic in that kind of space because we're not looking for a culture fit. We're looking for a culture ad. We're looking for someone to go above and beyond and, you know, stretch the boundaries of what they want to see and what is currently existing in the company. So I think that providing a summary of what you do and maybe the competencies that relate directly to what you'll do, the functional strengths and knowledge that you need is relevant, but also including a a summary of people if they don't actually meet all of the criteria to still apply anyway. The research shows that candidates from underrepresented backgrounds don't apply for roles if they don't meet all the criteria and it is seen most in populations of women that don't meet the criteria, don't apply for the job. So I think a note on the bottom of the job listing about if you don't apply, sorry, if you don't meet all the criteria. And then a really big emphasis on the employee benefits are offered and I think this is really where companies can go above and beyond about the learning opportunities, the wellness benefits. I've seen it done really, really well with some companies offering paid time off or offering a wellness stipend for their employees. And I think also outlining the things like parental leave and like domestic violence leave if these are things that are on your policies, then they should also be on your job listings because I think it also says to prospective employers that these companies are open to women joining who may be in childbearing years or who may be nearing the time where they want to have children or have started to think about having children and previously those women have been discriminated in the market and there has been decisions, hiring decisions made because those women have been pregnant or has been thinking about getting pregnant. So I think those types of things really weave in the diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives that I would be looking for in a company if I were on the market at the moment. I thought it was so interesting just listening to the different aspects. And I've never seen a panel where we've had different people all on at the same time, giving their opinions of different things. And I definitely resonate a lot with Claire because she's my generation. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I think Isabel, it's just so interesting. I learned so much about all the different generations, I think. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think as well, I, I yeah, I, I really, everything kind of Ashley said resonated with me, particularly in terms of this kind of, you know, we were promised a dream. We were told we could be whatever we wanted to and that's not really happening. Um, and what Carrie said as well about, you know, the boomers being pioneers in terms of what this kind of, you know, older midlife looks like now, I thought was really interesting. Um, and I think the point is that, 
that Isabel ended on there in terms of how to engage and recruit Gen Z. If you are struggling, she just gave you about 20 minutes worth of free consultancy there. So yeah, yeah, really, really great advice. Brilliant. So I think next week we are at the water cooler, are we? Or are we going to be doing the water cooler? We are. So we're actually, we've actually released this episode a little bit early. So all of our new friends at the water cooler um, on on the Tuesday, what are the dates again? 20, 25th, 26th of yeah. April. Um, we'll be able to listen to this this episode and get a flavour. We thought it was a good example of, of the things we, we talk about. So next week, the episode is is going to be all about the water cooler, all the cool people we've met at the water cooler. Um, and uh, Leanne will have some exclusive interviews with some very impressive people. I think we've organised those. Uh, so make sure, that, uh, make sure that you listen in next week. See you there. Bye-bye.